0: This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Warung Country and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders past, present and future.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. We're your hosts, Reese Hendy and unfortunately Caleb can't join us tonight so it's just myself and I've got an amazing guest Really excited to have a chat with Jimmy Busco. He is an amazing visual artist, muralist, very much in my realm of knowledge. And I've had the pleasure of working with Jimmy before, on a couple of occasions, actually. We'll get into that story a little bit later, but let's just jump straight into it. Welcome, Jimmy.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, letting
1: me talk you into interviewing me. <laughs> no, it wasn't a hard one. You were on the list, but since you've been listening and given us a bit of feedback on some of the podcast episodes, it's all of a sudden. Like, oh, we've got someone engaged. I'll just get you on board and have a chat. Great, happy to be here. Yeah, nice one. You could maybe start off with giving us a bit of an introduction to your practice through your own words, Jimmy. What is it that you do as a creative? I
0: guess I'm predominantly a visual artist, and within the visual arts spectrum, I'm predominantly a public artist probably 60 or 70 percent of my practice is through public art in the public realm mainly painting and in the wetter months because I'm down in Warrnambool in southwest Victoria it's pretty wet down here so in the wetter months I do a lot of studio work as well so I've only ever had one exhibition but I guess that's the balance of what I do commissions and and my own artworks and public art in a nutshell
1: Where would people have seen your work before? What are some of the highlights that you could reel off of where people might have seen your work in public?
0: I've done three works for the Silo Art Trail, one in Lismore, Victoria, which is a water tower, one in Avoca in central Victoria, and one recently in New South Wales in Murrum Bateman. So they're the three largest. I've also done a little bit of work for Werribee Open Range Zoo, but I guess most famously most people would have seen my probably least impressive but most popular work which was the warnable wombat from 2018 which the video that was made for that had something like 64 million views around the world a little bit crazy
1: oh that is so good and i'm glad you brought that up because i think that it's definitely something that a lot of people have seen oh i bet you, you get it a lot Oh, you're the guy from the wombat video it's just such an amazing story and when i saw it i had a laugh because i actually had met you previous to this little event happening and had been following along on your journey prior to this viral moment let's have a chat about it because it's a classic story and i also want to hear about what it means to go viral as an artist of like how if that has any kind of influence on your day-to-day or your art practice but Let's talk about the viral moment. It was an uncommissioned artwork. So you'd gone down to paint a picture of a wombat busting out of the wall on the side of a bridge. Was that near your house or something?
0: Yeah, straight out the front of my house. And the reason I did it was I'd done one mural at this point, a painted mural of yellowtail black cockatoos. The local council had seen that and then they wanted to engage some interactive public art in the back alleyways in Warnable, But it was May and they wanted to do it in chalk. So it had to be temporary. They approached me after my Black cockatoo's mural and I argued that chalk in May in Warrnambool would last half a day and then be gone. And it sort of went back and forward. So to prove them wrong, I went down to the bridge outside my house and chalked up this wombat coming out of a hole in the bridge, it took me a couple of hours thinking that Friday night, it's going to rain all night, it'll be gone by the morning. And, of course, as the story tells, old mate Phil Hoy across the other side of the train bridge, he saw it and decided to clear coat it. And it's uh, and still there today, so I didn't get to prove anything in the end.
1: Phil is an absolute classic character. If you haven't seen the video, you've got to go and check it out. Is it, do you know the title of it?
0: It's called The Accidental Wombat Mural of Warnable or something like that. But if you look up the yeah. Warnable Wombat video, it generally comes up.
1: It'll pop up. So this Phil bloke is an absolute character. Does he work for council? Or he- He's a
0: house painter by trade, but part of what he does is graffiti removal. And he has yeah. done contracted work for the council doing graffiti removal.
1: It makes it so much funnier. So he's driven past senior artwork thought, how good is this? I love it. And he's gone and done a clear code on there. And when did you find out that this had happened? Like you went back and thought, why is it still there? What is going on here?
0: Yeah, that's right. So the Saturday I went down to, to wash it off and couldn't get it off. So I washed it. I tried water. It didn't work. I tried metho. It didn't work. And then I tried acetone. And that still didn't work. And I was totally stumped. So I was telling a friend the story because Warnable's a little city, a big town. And news spreads. And she had already heard that someone had clear-coded this thing. So she was laughing, saying, oh, your neighbor actually clear coated." it. And at that point I hadn't ever met him. I'd seen him out the front. He's a bit of a larrikin, a bit of a loose goose, and I was so worried about approaching him. Me, I'm a little fella, and I'm someone who does the right thing most of the time, and I didn't know how to approach him. I didn't know if I was going to end up in a Barney with him, but it was just laughs from the get-go. He's such a character.
1: Yeah, it is such a funny story, and the fact that you didn't realise it had been done and tried to clean it off. You're like, I swear I did this. What kind of magical chalk is this? Like that's <laughs> yes, right. impossible to remove. <laughs>
0: and i was stressing out as i say in the video i was stressing out because you can get in trouble essentially i think the rules are with graffiti if it can't be wiped off with a dry cloth it's considered graffiti so even chalk on concrete is technically graffiti in that way yeah don't worry about that it's done we ended up getting permission from council and from VicTrack, and everyone's happy yeah
1: and having that go like viral Did it have any influence on your art practice or your success, notoriety in the industry?
0: Yeah, it certainly didn't do any harm. And I remember having a chat to Vanessa Gerrans, who was the director of the art gallery here, just after it started going viral. And she grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, you need to double down on this opportunity because this does not come very often. Like it's already at a million views. Who knows where it's going to go? And I've done that, even now still, without shame. I'll. The other day, it was the fifth anniversary of me drawing that little wombat, and me and Emily Bisland from ABC, who made the original video, and Phil Hoy, who did the clear coat, we all went down there with a cake, and I drew a chalk party hat on the wombat, and we all took some photos. And It's about making the most of those sorts of moments, I think. And because it's such mm. a feel-good story, quintessentially australian it's a little bit naughty because it's technically not allowed i don't know there's no one has ever said what you did was a bad thing even though technically it was (laughs) what i did was a bad thing so it's a beautiful story that everyone seems to love i remember at the time i had spent a few years doing wildlife art and pet portraiture from my studio i was working as a full-time chef and doing that in the evening and i remember at the time my Social media I think was at about three thousand followers on Facebook and maybe fifteen hundred on Instagram. And this was a Facebook video that ABC made and they published it to Facebook and my followers went up to fifteen thousand within a couple of months. So that sort of instant growth within your art arts practice is extraordinary. And they're all potential viewers and customers and audience for your art and all those things that help to create that momentum in an arts
1: practice yeah so you said that you took that opportunity and made the most of what did you do to make the most of it and also with some hindsight would you do anything differently to make that count even more to grow your success off that one in a lifetime viral
0: yeah i guess the first thing i did was wrote to abc southwest victoria and ask them to tag my page in the post. Because originally it didn't, it just mentioned my name. And I was getting a lot of personal friend requests through my private account and it was just annoying. Like it was hundreds a day of people wanting to be my friend on Facebook rather than follow my art page. So because of that issue, that ABC were able to then tag my page. So that was the first sort of opportunity to really try and I guess career-wise to take advantage of the opportunity And then, I don't know, it's just that thing of having something that people remember with joy and humour and enjoyment. When you mention that either in an expression of interest or when you're pitching other work, it adds points to your pitch in that way. Often people who want murals will say, can you paint me a wombat in the mural as well? Because they want to tie themselves to that story and I think that's one of the things I love about public art is that once you've painted it it's sort of no longer yours like I've just finished the Murrumbateman water tank which is a 17 meter water tank in New South Wales that's now not mine I may or may not see that again but the town people of Murrumbateman write to me all the time and share the photos and That's now their piece of artwork. And I love that that's happened with 64 million views across the country and across the world where especially Australians and then especially Victorians and then more, especially Southwest Victorians, there's a pride in being attached to that story because it's got so much joy and happiness around it, I think.
1: Just the whole story is a really classic occurrence. I'm so glad they captured it in a video. It definitely needs a watch if you haven't seen it already jimmy let's throw back in time a little bit because we actually met each other before i was a full-time nacho into street art and before you were a full-time artist we pretty much met in a different life and the way i remember it and jump in at any time if i've asked you the facts here but i was working as an all-round creative for an internal marketing team at apm animal health and i was over in Warnable at one of our vet clinics and I just happened to be in a clinic room and taking photos of people's dogs, walking up to strangers. Hey, do you mind if I take photos of your dog for the for this bloody whatever it was that I was doing at the time? And it just so happened that Jimmy came into the room. You were about to go to a port Ferry folk festival and you needed to get your dog vaccinated in time to drop them off at the kennel or something along those lines. I don't know why I remember it in so much detail, but we got chatting through that moment and I found out you were an artist and I had an interest in the arts, but also we forged a whole nother opportunity with you and your pet portraits in that time. But I got, I remember chatting to you very distinctly because I got you to show me your artwork and how to flick through, and I probably gave you a on Instagram or something at the time. But can you tell me about your, where were you at in your art career at that time when we first met without realizing that we would work again together? Five or six years later?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. At that point, I had got back into art. I did art and design at TAFE in 1991, 92. And then I went on to industrial design and then dropped it. So when you and I met, it was sort of 10, 15 years after that. And I'd started to get back into my art through, through having a little girl, we had our daughter and I painted one of our walls as a blackboard and just started doing high detailed chalk drawings on the blackboard. From that, a friend of mine asked me to draw his dog as a pet portrait and I did that and he was 23 years old and had eight squillion friends on Facebook and he put it up and I started getting requests for pet portraits. So when you and I met, I was starting to try and create a little hobby business around doing pet portraits. And my aim was to maybe have one a fortnight or one a month as an enjoyable thing to do, but also a little bit of extra coin to put towards our family and and do some things with. So when I met you and you were involved in this creative part of APM Vet Clinics and you pitched the idea of running a competition to win a free pet portrait, I was like, this is great. That's so much exposure across the country. And so it was one of those moments again where I was like, yeah, great double down on that let's make that happen and yeah i think we ran the competition through their in-house magazine and i don't know how it went yeah i remember drawing the portrait
1: i think they they absolutely loved it and i I felt pretty happy that I i can't help but just see people and opportunities and string them all together. So I met a guy at a vet clinic who does pet portraits and all of a sudden we were commissioning you to do a pet portrait competition for a magazine. The way that all came together was a little bit weird in itself. But I think let's fill in a few gaps before we end up talking about how we've worked again together in, you know, in the more recent times. So from going from the pet portraits... What was your evolution that was just a side hustle at that point? So let's talk about how you've evolved from a side hustle into being a full-time artist. How did you transition into full-time art and what did that look like for you, especially re- living regionally in Warrnambool, the kind of challenges mm. you might have faced in that kind of adventure?
0: Yeah, I was aiming for one a fortnight or one a one a month, and of course you attain that, and then you want to step it up. So then it's let's try and attain one a week, and so over the course of a few years, I think I turned it into a business, a little business where I was able to do one pet portrait a week while still working full time as a chef. So I was working full time during the day. We had a little girl; I think she was probably five or six at the time, and we co-parent my wife was working full-time and in the evenings once she was in bed I'd pull an easel out in the middle of the kitchen and draw a pet portrait and for me it was the joy there looking back now I can see that's where I found my connection to people through art and I think I was doing the same thing as a chef there's there's this pouring myself into something creatively that people i don't know or just people i guess generally can get some enjoyment and some joy out of so i'd hand over these pet portraits often they'd be dogs that have passed away i'd be there handing it physically over and people would be crying and talking about their dog and the emotional connection and then they have a piece of me they've they have this connection to me that even today i walk past someone i've drawn a pet portrait for and they'll stop and say hello and talk about that and it really helped me find a bit of a meaning and although it's a lowbrow in the art world it's pet portraits it's you're not going to change the world but on an individual level i was really having a little impact and for me that's what i've always wanted to do i've always wanted to come from this place of love and care and sharing and so I have found that through the pet portraits. And then got to a point where I was working 40 or 50 hours a week in a little cafe in Warrnambool and doing one or two pet portraits a week. And then suddenly we look out the backyard and the grass is up to our knees and there's dog mess everywhere in the backyard and the house needs a repaint in the lounge room. All those day-to-day jobs just build up because my wife was working full-time and then really probably taking the lion's share of her daughter. I was working full-time and it just got ridiculous and I remember having this conversation with my wife where I said this isn't why we moved to Warrnambool I actually grew up in Melbourne and we'd moved here I think about 17 years ago I said we moved here for more space more time and I've I feel like we're just pushing it too hard we don't have time to do anything at the moment we don't even get to the beach so I said I'm going to give up the art and just chef because we know I earn this much money and it's a guaranteed thing and she was practicing as a psychologist at the time and she turned to me and she went nah let's let's quit chefing and do your art practice full-time and just let's give it six months and see if we can make a go of it and she said I'll take on an extra client a week or two if you can get one pet portrait a week for now you'll be earning that with the extra client will be earning enough so it's all that maths it's strategically working out how you can move forward doing what you want to do and the support as well the family support is extraordinary so then we sort of went that way and of course at the time I think I had five pet portraits booked and I used to do (laughs) them I'd do one I'd post it on Facebook I'd do a paid ad for about 80 bucks and generally I would get another one at least one more so I thought, well, I'll just keep doing that. And of course, Murphy's Law says you get through those five that you had booked in and it was suddenly like crickets. There was nothing. I had no orders. I had no interest. It seemed like I'd saturated the local warnable market for pet portraits. And I said to my wife, what do I do? And she said, well, you've been talking about wanting to paint birds. You've been actually whinging about not having enough time to do your own art. Do some birds. I was like, oh, great, all right, cool. So the pressure was off to earn the money for a short period of time to see what happens. So then I did birds. I did these big, they were illustrations in pastel, big illustrations in pastel. And my wife was like, we should make some prints of these. So we made some prints of those. And then the cafe I was chef at, they offered to hang them on the wall. And that got us through summer, selling prints and originals of bird artwork. So this business just slowly started to evolve then through pet portraits and wildlife art. And it was always about, rather than panicking when something came up unexpected, suddenly doing those five pet portraits and nothing getting booked in, rather than panicking and going back to chefing, we were like, all right, what else? And pivoting off that and seeing what else comes. So I guess that's how, for me, started and it was humble beginnings like i was not earning a lot of money for the first year or two a pet portraits i think i was charging about 400 bucks and i would do one or two a week it's still okay it's still pretty good but yeah i think long term i needed to prove it was going to make more money
1: so for a bit of context how long ago would have that have been in your career now, do you I think, think
0: I've been seven years full-time about now. So this is going That's back seven. seven years, and then I think predominantly pet portraits for two of those, for the first two of those, pet portraits and bird artworks. There was this time in Warnable where there was a public art project that was put forward by a local group, and Juddy Roller decided to, they got the commission to manage it, and then suddenly we've got Matt Adnate coming down to Warrnambool to do this beautiful Gundijamara mural on the side of a TAFE building. So here's me doing these birds and these dogs and suddenly this high-profile, crazy-skilled public artist comes down and I've got the opportunity to just sit and watch for four days while he creates this masterpiece. And it's this is a three-and-a-half-storey mural... And he pulled it off in four days with spray cans and rollers. And I, it was just gobsmacking to me. So then I was really like, I really want to see whether I can you know, have a crack at that at least. So I started searching for public art expressions of interest and stuff. But of course, having no experience, I'm like, I can show them my canvas work and my paperwork, but I haven't proven myself on a wall. So then I think... So what like, was that first opportunity? So I think like a lot of the public artists we know, it's all right, I have to take this into my own hands. And at the time, Warnable had this placemaking, I guess, competition thing going on called Beers and Ideas, it was run by a local creative, Sinead Murphy, who had a design studio called Lovelock Studios. And she got a little bit of council funding to run these nights where she'd ask creative people to pitch an idea for placemaking and then... She would choose the four best ideas she would calendar in a night and invite all the public down and the public would turn up pay 10 bucks at the door and they'd get a token and a beer and they'd listen to the four pitched ideas i think you'd get 15 minutes or 20 minutes to pitch your idea so the four creatives stood up in front of everyone And I remember this thing, it was the first one, it came up on Instagram and I know Sinead and I was like, that'd be great to do. That might be a really good way for me to get a little bit of money to put towards doing a mural somewhere. But I don't wanna do the first one, I wanna have a look at it first and see what it's all about. So I waited till Sinead put up a post saying, I've got the four pitched ideas, we're doing it on this date, lock it into your calendar. And then I sent her a message going, Sinead, I really want to do a local mural. Can I pitch for the next one? And she wrote back and said, I've just had the fourth one pull out, so you're in the first round. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I sat at my keyboard coming up with all the excuses as to why I couldn't do the first one. And then I just thought, this is meant to be. You can't shy away from those opportunities. Public speaking, one of my most feared things, standing up in front of people, but I was like, I just... I've been given the opportunity i've got to run with it so i knew what wall i wanted to do it was right outside where beers and ideas was getting pitched and i turned up and pitched my idea against three other local creatives who all had cracking ideas and i came away winning the first beers and ideas and it was we got 75 people through the door so 750 bucks not a lot of money as you'd know for a mural this was a 35 meter wall that was three and a half meters tall Um, Um, there's your materials budget absolutely exactly right
1: but i think like for the first for your first ever experience painting a mural to have your materials paid for and then to just experiment and and play and learn for the first time that sounds like a pretty sweet deal i think you've done pretty well to swindle them out of 750 bucks considering you've never done one before
0: then council I found out council were dollar matching so then it was 1500 bucks i'm like this is great and then vanessa gerrans from the warnable art gallery said i want artists to be paid more properly than what that is so i'm going to dollar match the whole amount so then there was three grand so i'm thinking well that's yeah once you take materials out i'm earning a chef's wage per week if it takes me three weeks to do it (laughs) but then of course the word gets out and hammond's paints in warner decide to throw the paint in, and then Hire australia and warner decide to throw a scissor lift in and it becomes this whole community thing so i ended up with no costs except for the permit to shut down part of the walkway and was able to do it and so you know 2500 bucks or whatever it was in my pocket at the end of three weeks was actually a really
1: good wage for me that's amazing, Jimmy. And I think it speaks a lot to living regionally. We're called country creatives for a reason, yep. right? And like, I've also found that experience where councils and businesses will, especially if it's a bit of a passion project, you're looking for support that like living regionally has a real benefit in being able to access the business managers or the people on the ground who want to help see things happen especially if when you're starting out and just getting a grip or doing a good thing for your community. So that's absolutely amazing. It's your first mural was a, quite a profitable, good yeah. business decision to, to go for it and you would have missed it out if you had, if you had listed those excuses. You wouldn't have got the gig. Exactly right,
0: yeah. So toughening up and swallowing the fear and giving it a crack ended up paying off yeah amazing opportunity and i agree with you with the regional thing like me moving to Warnable, if we had to move to Warrnambool, even as a chef in fact moving to Warnable, i had better opportunity because i was one of a handful of chefs who really cared about what they did so i went from being an absolute no one in melbourne i never did fine dining but i really cared about the food i put out to then turning up in a town and pretty much being able to have a pick of any job I wanted because I had chops, I worked quick and I cared about what I did. And it was the same with art. The opportunities that you can create yourself in a regional environment, I think, are much more accessible. If that wall, this 35 metre wall, which is on the side of the warnable Post Office, if that was a blank Besser Block wall in Melbourne and there was a thing called Beers and Ideas, raising money to do some public art, you'd have... 120 artists going for it whereas we had four pitched ideas one pulled out i got in like it it wasn't even a there was not even an attrition i think she shanae just put in everyone who applied for it in the end because she needed for so it wasn't even a competition yeah. in that point it was just like yeah sure i'll do
1: it that's the beauty as well you can really own a especially if you find a niche or you find what you're really into there's a real opportunity to be the leader in that area in a smaller regional town. And I guess you've also mentioned a little bit about oversaturating on a certain product with your pet portraits, living regionally, you can oversaturate. And so I guess that might lead me into the next question about stepping abroad of warnable. You'd cut your teeth at a regional level and gathered a lot of support and found an audience. And then I guess taking that next step into being a successful and sustainable artists what did that look like to be able to go from that central hub of Warrnambool? how did you go about stepping into the rest of victoria and even beyond
0: i don't know directly really i guess for me personally being a member of regional arts victoria has been huge being a member of narva the national association for visual artists has been huge following things like regional arts Victoria creative Victoria um, regional arts Australia and keeping an eye on what's out there and then just pitching for stuff and I think being very organized with all that as well that's where a lot of people struggle is the more you do you, the more you ap- apply for things the more prepared you are to apply for things so if I'm gonna apply for a expression of interest I've got templates that I can just pull off files, collate them together, edit them, write a bit of an artist statement that suits that project, and within an hour or two, it's sent off. So I apply for a lot of stuff, and I don't get it all, of course, because no one does. I think I had done quite a few murals locally, but reaching beyond Warrnambool and Southwest Victoria was really important. And having conversation I've had conversations with people as well where often a community will put up an expression of interest and they'll choose someone from out of town and the locals will say you should have used a local person and the argument was that was put to me when I had that because I used to have that opinion I remember when there was a big mural here that a heap of local artists pitched for but no one had the scope to do it no one had that experience Mm. so they got an interstate artist, it was Claire Foxton, and they asked her to run a couple of workshops with local artists and she was very open and she shared a lot of her experience with it. So she was skilling up the locals in that way and the person that was running that project said to me, if you're going to argue that locals should do local projects, then you're also arguing that you should never leave this town to do a project somewhere else. And that's a big call that to say that artists shouldn't leave their own town. And, of course, we all want to travel. We all want to spread our wings and paint elsewhere. Um, And I think that's a really valid point.
1: That is interesting. I do I really appreciate that when you're going into regional towns, I think the community engagement aspect is really important for artists because those who are local who maybe feel a bit hard done by, that they didn't get a chance to earn the money doing the thing, A chance for them to skill up and even meet people from outside of their town who have more experience and have a lot to share it's a really valuable component of bringing in outside artists as well to extend your networks to the locals so i can definitely appreciate that side of things how do you find going into regional towns do you face any animosity that you are an outsider Oh, are there regional creatives who's put up a bit of a wall towards you or is it mostly positive?
0: It's mostly pretty positive, which I don't know whether that's because of the way I go in. I'm very open. I love to have a conversation with locals. A big part of painting a mural in a town that I'm not from is about going in there and connecting with people first and finding out what they want and getting a feel for the space. I don't want to turn up for three weeks in a town and every night squirrel myself away in my hotel room and not see anyone. And so I'll always eat out at the pub and chat to people. And I don't know, being approachable, being transparent, even on the job. I think I could get most of my work done probably 30% quicker if I didn't get down off the boom and chat to people. But to me, that's got to be part of it. You're painting something in these people's towns and for me it's all about giving them something to connect to and to feel proud of and to own and it's as i said before it's more theirs when you leave it's more theirs than it is yours so i think especially young people as well talking i love talking to young people about that in this day and age having a creative career is actually i think more accessible because of the internet and because of our reach through social media platforms and all those sorts of things. So I haven't ever really had animosity. I have worked for a few jobs as well where they've subcontracted an artist assistant locally. And I really like that as an option where you're directly mm-hmm. upskilling one artist. I worked with one local artist in King Lake called Tim Honey, who's a great studio artist who hadn't done murals. And now he's worked with me, he's worked with Jeffrey Caron, he's worked with Tim Botel, and the guy can paint murals. Like, he's done a short and fast apprenticeship with a handful of artists doing pretty major works in King Lake, and now he knows exactly what to do and he can put it to his own style. So that's a really great mechanism within a public art spectrum as well, I think.
1: I really like that idea as well. That would be like there's a few tricks at the trade that you probably learn a few the hard way you learn a few the easy way from advice but to have that opportunity is amazing
0: and i think as a public Um, artist as well like i when i did my first one i really lent in with claire foxton who had painted the water tower in warnable and she gave me so much time and wrote so so many paragraphs of advice and was always available if i had a question and so i'm very much that like I don't care who contacts me, if someone wants to do a mural, I'm there to say, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to think about this, because there's a lot to consider as safe work method statements and licensing on boom lifts and insurance and so much stuff beyond just holding a brush or a can.
1: What happens, Jimmy, if someone calls you up and says, hey, look, we worked together in the past on a very different project, but... Now we're pulling together a collaboration for this event called Conflux and we want to bring four completely random artists together to paint something together. And I don't know exactly what it looks like just yet, but we're going to we're going to make something look really cool. I thought that's my segue into introducing how we worked together more recently at the Conflux seminar that was hosted by the Emporium Creative Hub, where we did a collaborative Art piece with four artists live over two days, which I think might be a little bit of broke the mold a little bit from your usual kind of work and your method of working. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that played out? Yeah, that was
0: my favorite project from last year, to be honest. And it was another example of being pushed out of my comfort zone. For those who know my work, I'm very tight and controlled and so to collaborate with other people, there's this tension that happens inside me and it was so great to just turn up and also not to be the first artist working. The four artists you chose, we painted the panels that spelt out Conflux as part of the Conflux event and the four artists you chose were so different and we all were bringing something completely different and I just loved the from the get-go from the first meeting the conversations that were happening and it was just really exciting as you said not knowing where it was going to go but to be open to Mm. letting it go where it was going to go yeah that can be really hard
1: i had to convince the client which is luckily a really great client to work for being the emporium creative hub but i had to say look i've got this idea of how we can do this collaborative mural artwork live and they're like oh what does that look like i'm like i don't know yet you have to just trust me a bit i'm going to i'm going to send you an invoice and then i'm going to work it out <laughs> um, but yeah we basically got four artists together being Rachel Dollar Chloe Jones yourself Jimmy Buscombe, and Wes Franklin and we just met up and said all right we're going to we're going to create a thing together i had a bit of a structure in my mind about how everyone's artwork would come together rachel and chloe being a bit more abstract in their designs wes being a typographer and you being more of a realism kind of painter i was like okay like i can imagine how all those things coexist but being really loose with it and just guiding everyone with a little bit of vision to come together you ended up painting what a magpie a bin chicken a rosella
0: (laughs) yeah a galah something else and an owl because the theme we were given was reacting to it. What's it going to take to move forward in a brave new world, essentially. And for me who paints a lot of my works reflecting the natural world and the plight of endangered species, I was like part of a brave new world that m- we're going to move forward in it. The animals are also going to have to adapt. So I wanted to reflect that by painting animals that have already adapted to thrive in in urban environments. So that was my take on it. Yeah. And it was such a, rad bright vibrant colorful process and project and it just came together just it looked like it must have been pre-designed that was so much fun
1: yeah it was really great and i'm glad it turned out that way because we just we took a punt really but it could have been a dog's breakfast but (laughs) we pulled it together (laughs) yeah oh and i forgot to the logo design was by a local designer the design pond. So five collaborators on that piece too. itself. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, so that was really cool. And i it was really funny to when I called you, I think you told me you're like, wait, is this Reese from Nacho? I thought you were from Fur Life Vet. Like I was still written in your phone as <laughs> Fur Live <laughs> yeah. Vet from back in the day when I we think I even met.
0: hung up on you the first moment it rung I'm like, no, I think I went to ring you back or something happened. And I and your name came up. I'm like, oh that's the wrong perp hang up. didn't even put two together you knew that we that it was the same person but i didn't pick it
1: it's great it's a funny full circle and i might try and find for the cover art of this episode i think i'll try and find if i've got you painting on these murals or maybe the group image of all of us standing together i might see if i can piece that together for the cover art so that'll give it a bit of context if people have seen that or want to see that and if you do want to see that artwork that we've just referenced as well, you can go into the important Creative Hub, but they're all mounted in the hallway on your way in, which is like a really nice like entrance art piece that's in there fairly permanently that's now. A good form. yeah. Jimmy, I did have a bit of a curly question for you. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know, and I might've pre-warned you, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna put you under the pump. I've got a little bit of a an opinion on silo art and those large public artworks that are in regional towns. Of how they sometimes there's a little bit same same throughout i have a very biased opinion probably because i haven't organized the silo before i'm a little <laughs> bit jaded on the whole silo thing if i had a silo under the belt i wouldn't care about it but full disclosure yeah, that's it full disclosure i'm a bit bitter but there's a lot of native animals or a picture of a farmer or a picture of a sheep. like very stereotypical kind of in terms of art If you go to an art exhibition, you might expect to be challenged or look at something and think a certain way. And the general trend for silo art and this regional art can be a little bit generic and stereotypical. And I throw you into that category a little bit. (laughs) I know. How rude to offend a guest like this. Uh, But I do commend you on, I feel like you take a really fresh approach. And one example of that is... You have a mural that really pushes the boundaries, so I appreciate that, but I wanted to get your opinion. Maybe you can sway me as to why this is a thing, why people respond to this, why do people love this kind of subject matter so much? Is it a real challenge to push people out of their boundary in these kind of regional towns?
0: It's a really interesting question that could lead to a whole night of conversation with a whole panel of specialists. If we're talking about the Silo Art Trail specifically, I guess it's not really a nationally curated exhibition. It's curated individually by individual towns who have an idea of what they want. Um, Often that's, Mm very controlled in a brief that's given often these committees are run by people who perhaps aren't artists certainly not public artists themselves Mm. but they want to paint they've got a big structure and they want to increase tourism so it's that long question of what is the purpose of public art but it's not a there's no single answer like it can stimulate debate it can be made about some event in history or it can just be for beauty and tourism and regional traffic and i think that's where the silo art trail has grown from
1: i had never considered that before actually that the fact that they're not curated by someone who's consistent across every site has a huge implication
0: like even the one that i just finished for murram bateman that was put together by the lions club probably an average age in that committee of 65 at a guess (laughs) hoping not to offend anyone some of them dabbling in art but all of them wanting an art piece that's going to draw people and it's that argument as well that I often put forward where I think art galleries do a really great job of pushing boundaries and exploring new territory and creating conversation and creating question and conflict and all those things but 80 something percent of the Australian population don't go to an art gallery on a regular basis and to me Mm. public art is actually bringing art to that 80 something percent so I don't think there's any wrong answer I would love to see more experimental art of that scale but I don't know how that would be achieved because like the brief I got for Murrumbatement was worked out with Landcare so it was specifically a yellow box grassy woodland two gang gang cockatoos golden sun moths and a list of flora to paint another artist may take that and turn it into something more abstract and create different conversation but for me i want my art to reflect the natural world and to remind people about the deep and profound connection that we do have to the natural world and i don't think that's such a bad thing and i love doing it on that scale as well like those works they naturally have an awe about them you turn up at these things and they're enormous and they're awe-inspiring just on a scale so then a conversation happens where at Bateman, for instance where people are saying why are the cockatoos on there because they're actually an endangered species and the golden sun moths are one of the most endangered species in the world because of things that land care are trying to change. So it is still a really important thing, maybe not artistically, but I try and push myself in other ways. Like the Mate one, to use that as an example again, that was technically, I was trying to push myself technically to achieve something that I'd never achieved before, like a landscape with big foreshortening. And yeah, so it's interesting.
1: Thank you. I think you've enlightened me a little bit there, Jimmy. I appreciate that. I think your murals, just the mastery, and I feel like all solo art, I don't want to shit on silo artists in general. I think the artistry and the being able to master your craft at that scale is, it's all inspiring And I guess now that it's become a bit more commonplace, I would love to see how people push the boundaries, which you have actually done. You have actually, I think, probably blown my mind with one of the most interesting silos out there. And it's something that people should visit by day and by night in Avoca, which this for me is a really great example of how you can take subject matter and it's was it a powerful owl was it a what it's kind of a powerful owl, owl. yeah so this is in avoca yeah.
0: which is at the foothills of the pyrenees and the powerful owl was on a list of things that i was to refer to of endangered species that were local and it's interesting that you're saying that this one pushes the boundaries because out of all my public at work that's the one mural that i've copped flak for and quite a few times oh,
1: before you move on jimmy yeah let's explain what it actually does and how so it's a silo with a huge powerful hour with a bit of the pyrenees <laughs> mountains in the background but why i think it pushes the boundaries is because at night time when it's completely dark you press a button by the shed next to the silo it sets off a big floodlight for 35 seconds or so the light turns off and then the stars glow on the background. It has glow paint inside the mural at a silo-sized level, and and then like a next step on that is you can go up and use your phone or a, a light to paint with light onto this silo at nighttime. So. It has this like really interactive and engaging aspect to it, and it's visible by day and by night. So that maybe gives a bit of context around why I think it's amazing. Yeah, but can you tell me why? Why has why have you caught slack about? it? Oh, the
0: comments that have been made negatively are, I think, visually by day in comparison to other silo work, people have commented like one person said it was underwhelming, and people have said it's not. It's there's not much to it because it's essentially a 14 meter powerful owl on a native gum branch during the day you can't see anything else there's reasons for that that i'm aware of but you can't let everybody who visits the silo know why that is and the reasons are is because during the night the avoca arts and gardens they screen films on the side of the silo so we couldn't have a big sort of busy background because it would interfere with the screen the so the movies and they do Nintendo PlayStation nights and all that sort of stuff on the side that was the trigger for me to introduce this nighttime aspect when I first pitched for it I had a meeting with them and they said they told me about this nighttime thing that they were going to have so it was going to be like a drive-in cinema They would do movies onto the silo and people could sit on beanbags and whatnot and watch movies and I thought it was a really clever thing to do because Having done a couple of these things before, I noticed you'd be painting them and people would turn up in their camper vans. They'd hop out of the camper van, take a photo, jump back in and drive off. And the town doesn't really get much from it. So to create a nighttime interactive thing kind of encourages people to then stay the night. Avoca also has free camping on the river. There's there's free options to stay. And I'm
1: sorry. sorry. Jimmy, did you go to that? the epic restaurant that's in Avoca while you were there it's like almost a five-star restaurant the drinks list is absolutely through the roof and the food was like i'm going to say for regional victoria michelin star what what we rest-
0: what restaurants that can you remember it was just the evoca hotel oh the evoca hotel the evoca hotel's food is extraordinary yeah
1: further to your point just the opportunity to encourage overnight stays when there is somewhere you can go and eat and drink and experience like a really high quality meal like it's an absolute it makes complete sense What I find interesting, people saying, "No, oh, it's a bit underwhelming, but like all these other murals of birds or wildlife, (laughs) what makes them so not underwhelming? It's just such an interesting thing that people have singled that one out. Sure,
0: and it's not many people. It's one of those things where you get a thousand really lovely comments and then four people are like, oh, yawn, and that's the thing that keeps (laughs) you up at night. It's not a big issue. I just found it interesting that was the one you selected as pushing boundaries and i guess technically as far as the products used it does there's something else there's another element and i do love the interactivity of it with the glow paint down the bottom on the pyrenees mountains where kids can use their torch to essentially draw their own murals or do shadow art or whatever because that's another element of public art that i love i do anamorphic 3d art chalk art and things that becomes interactive in that way but um, it's just fascinating it's and it's good conversation this is all really good stuff to get people thinking about because i would love <laughs> a more abstract artist to have a crack at one of these bigger ones um, maybe we need
1: to but pull together four artists to do a collaborative piece on a silo cracking idea i'm sure you Let's can pull get four done. artists together for that i've got one i've got one in mind already jimmy don't you worry about that it's you (laughs) by the way (laughs) all right sorry it's been a really great chat with you jimmy and i love that we've come full circle to get you onto this podcast it's a shame that caleb couldn't be here he usually has some really great questions about uh, the business behind it but i feel like we've nerded out a little bit on the art side of things here so i appreciate that thanks for your time so much and I wish you all the best. How can people find your stuff and how can they support you? I'm on Instagram and Facebook and it's just my
0: name with artist, Jimmy Buscombe Artist. And it's just support is about engagement and sharing and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And people like you and Caleb doing things like this, which is getting the word out to people, but also making people think and talk about creative industry in a meaningful way. It's a good thing you guys are doing and i love the podcast i listen to this and i listen to talking with painters and then essentially i listen to spotify so thanks for doing what you do too i love it
1: i really appreciate that jimmy it's been a really great chat and i can't wait to see what you get up to next and hopefully we can organize something in bendigo soon enough
0: great love to join you again thanks for having me
2: the incredible Jimmy Buscom in conversation with Rhys Handy on the Country Creatives Podcast, which you can tune into every two weeks as we have a new episode landing, or you can get up to date or re-listen to your favourite episodes if you head on over to emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. You'll find all of our past episodes and you'll also find links to all of the creators that we interview or the topics that we discuss. You can also get in contact with Reese and Caleb if you have any questions, comments. We've had quite a few amazing suggestions for new episode topics and we love it. So please keep them coming in. And don't forget, if you do love what you're listening to, we would be really grateful if you shared it with another creative who might benefit from it, or perhaps subscribed or even give us a rating. We'd love it. Thank you so much. And we'll see you or be speaking at you in a couple of weeks time.